0: I got a friend who goes to Hope to let me borrow his car, and I picked up Hope's founding pastor to get some answers. I bought you a little present. Is this your car? (laughs) No, it's not my car. I work at Hope. Well, our conversation turned to that indicator of a growing follower of Jesus that no one likes to talk about. This is the point where you might be tempted to sprint for the doors. I spent some time talking with Mike about money. Does God really need our money? Is this just a tactic of the church to try to get paid? Mike and I spent some time talking about what it looks like to give generously. When you talk about giving generously as one of the five marks, the outsider comes to church and the natural first thing they think is, see, I knew a church always just wants my money. You know, I've always said that we're never more like God than when we give. And there's several reasons for that. If you think about, for God so loved the world, He gave, he gave His most priceless possession. But when we give, It forces us to think more about other people than we think about ourselves. You can't do that. And it's the number one hindrance to someone actually becoming an all in disciple, without a doubt. Sure. It's this idea that Paul says sometimes you consider the needs of others more significant than your own needs. And to actually be able to do that, and not just do it, but do it joyfully, like I get to partner with God, that's a life changing thing. Jesus taught more on giving than any other topic, and he didn't need your money. Right. So obviously, It was about what it does to your heart and how it changes all the things that are going on in your life. If you can give, a lot of this other stuff is actually pretty easy. You know, on behalf of hope, Uh, 25 years here, we wanted to gift you with this car. I'm kidding. Um. (laughs) I've always said, if you can't be rich, have rich friends. Or the next best thing is know someone who manages a dealership that'll let you drive a car like this without having to buy it. So there you go. Let's be honest, this would have been a lot less fun if it was in my RAV4. It's good to see you guys this weekend. This is the sixth week of our series that we're calling How and Why and What. And in this series, we're talking about how we do what we do, why we do what we do, and, 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 and we're really basing this series, if you've been here for the last few weeks, uh, on a verse that appears at the latter part of the book of Matthew, always almost at the end. It's right before Jesus is getting ready to leave this earth and ascend back to heaven. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, therefore, and go and make disciples. And he's speaking to his disciples. So as I've made you a disciple, now I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that is what has become become known as, as the Great Commission as Christians. That's basically what we have been called to do. And here's the deal. If we are actually disciples that are making disciples, the what tells us what our lives are going to look like. And we at Hope, we call these five characteristics of a disciple. These aren't new to us, by the way. You can actually find this list in Acts chapter two, uh, when the church of Jesus Christ came into existence. We often refer to them as five things, uh, five marks, five goals. I like to call them five indicators that you're becoming a disciple because these aren't necessarily things you do. These are things that you become over time. You see your life transformed. We talk about the importance of just living obediently to God's word. If God's word says it, do it. If it says don't do it, don't do it. If it says believe it, believe it. And that it just, you bring your life into alignment with God's word. We talked about serving selflessly. If you see a need you can meet, meet it. If there's something you can do that needs to be done, do it. Last weekend, we talked about the importance of willingly sharing our story of how Jesus Christ has changed our lives. Next week, we're going to talk about the importance of connecting uh, intentionally in community and how it can transform our lives. But this is the one you've all been waiting for. This week, we're going to talk about the importance as disciples that we give generously. And I want you to see how giving generously is directly related to having a joyful life. You know, when I talk about the abundance life, I'll say it's a life of peace and joy and forgiveness. It's a life of purpose and meaning. I wanna talk to you about how to have a joyful life. And the reason that this is so important is because, let's be honest, most of us don't really believe that giving generously will lead to joy. See, in the culture we live in, keeping and hoarding leads to joy. Shopping, buying stuff, that leads to joy. But Jesus wants us to see that there's joy in giving generously. And what I really want you to see is that God doesn't even want you to give anything if you can't give joyfully. I mean, think about this. Why did God create giving? If God created everything, why did he create this idea of giving? I think that God created the concept of giving so that we, as humans, can share with him in his greatest joy. And I'm telling you, God's greatest joy is giving. For God so loved the world. I mean, even if you're new to church, right, we know that verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that we could be reconciled back into a relationship with the Father. So let me ask you a question. Why would God create us in his image? Why would God create us to be in a relationship with him and then say, you know what? You can't do what gives me the greatest joy. It's off limits to you. It's just for me. But see, God didn't say that. See, he said, I want you to give generously. I want you to be like me. Now, my family will tell you, I love to give and I love to give generously. I love to give generously to Hope Community Church. I love to give generously to ministries and charities outside of hope. Uh, I like if I see people in need, I love to give them money. I don't everybody come up at once, but I, I love to do that. I love to give to my family. I particularly love to give to Laura. I'm bad at it. Uh, as a result, she gets a lot more gifts than she should probably ever get because I can't keep a secret. I will buy it. It's like a month to Christmas, a month to her birthday, I will give it to her like two days later, which means I then have to buy her something to open on Christmas or her birthday because I can't keep a secret. However, one time I did, I gotta tell you this quick story. Uh, One time we were watching The Office and it was when Michael uh, uh, proposed to Holly and there were candles and I look over and Laura's crying. I'm like, why are you crying? She says, I wish one day you would propose romantically to me. You know? I'm like, wait a bit, can I remind you of how romantic my proposal was? I was 21, remember you were 18, I was walking you back to your dorm, and I said, hey, you wouldn't wanna marry me, would you? I mean, does it get more romantic than that? <laughs> On top of that, I'm a redneck from Durham. I don't even have a ring. Not, I don't even have a quarter to buy a ring, right? And so that summer, I worked as a camp director. I was the camp director at Camp Kannada up in Wake Forest. And uh, they paid me to do that. And I stashed all the money I could. And so at the end of camp, I had $700. So I wrote Laura a check because she was in California. I was here on the East Coast. I sent her a check. Uh, Laura is full Russian. Her mom actually escaped from Russia when she was a little girl. And her mom knew this jeweler, this Russian jeweler down at the jewelry mart in Los Angeles who would make her a ring. So I sent Laura a check for $700. I said, hey, knock yourself out. You get yourself a ring. So without me, she went and had this guy design her a ring and uh, she put it in the box and took it home. And then when I went out to visit her in August, uh, she gave me the ring and I opened it and I said, would you marry me? And she let me know five years in that it actually cost her $754 and she had to pay the extra $54. So I had to write her a check. But anyway, she said, man, could you just propose, you know, that would be so cool. So. Uh Laura knows every time I spend a dime, it pops up on her phone. I hate phones. But anyway, so I have to stash money, hide money. You know, I, if, if I get paid to speak somewhere or do a wedding and somebody pays me, I'll just kind of, you know, I don't even cash the checks. I just kind of put them aside. And then when I've got some money and I want to get her something, I'll, I'll get her something. Well, I had stashed some money aside and I, I had enough. I, 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 uh, I actually had quite a bit. And so I called a friend of mine who was a jeweler in New York. I said, I need to get Laura. It's our 30th anniversary. I need to get Laura a new ring. And she says, well, you can, you can afford this kind of diamond, da-da-da-da, because da, 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 I told her how much I had. So I said, she sent me some pictures of it, and they were gorgeous. And she, she put it in a solitaire for me. And so I took Laura on a cruise, you know. And uh, after dinner, it was formal night, I said, come on, let's go to the karaoke lounge, which right, right away, that should have been a hint, that something's up, because I don't do that kind of junk. Um, unless I can just heckle the people. I like to do that. But anyway... Um, So we go, and what you don't know is Laura and I, when we were younger, I I, I used to do some singing. Laura was actually a voice major in college. She has has an incredible voice. We used to sing a lot of duets at weddings in California when we were out there. And one of the songs big back then was uh, Larnell L. Ritchie's Endless Love, Endless Love. You know, and so so I, I, I didn't tell her. I just picked the song. And we were sitting there and they said, okay, and up next, Mike and Laura. And Laura looked at me, I said, that's us, baby. She says, we're singing. I said, let's do it. What are we singing? You'll know it. And it started out, you know, the song started out and we got into it. We had the time of our life. Then when we finished, I dropped down to my knee. I reached in my suit coat pocket. I pulled out the diamond. I held it up and I said, would you marry me all over again? And she said, is that an option? No, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. But I was prepared. But anyway. She said, oh, yes, I waited. When she cried and everybody clapped and and, and she she got her romantic thing. My point is simply this. It almost killed me. It almost killed me because I love to give. You know what? There's joy in giving. All of us have experienced that. So when I talk about giving generously, you know what? I want you to understand it shouldn't be a drudgery. Uh, God was very, very specific. He says, I want you to give cheerfully. I want you to be able to give joyfully. So I'm going to talk about that. So how you can have a life of joy. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. To do that, I'm going to have to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to have to talk about tithing. Now, let me just say this. If you're visiting with us this weekend, and you're like, oh, great. What a great weekend to come to church. You don't even have to worry about this. You can sit back. This isn't really for you. You'll notice we didn't pass an offering plate. We don't even want you to put you in that awkward position. Like, I know I bought five, bought five bucks somewhere, right? We don't even want you to do that. We want people to give at Hope Community Church because they believe in the mission and the vision, and they're excited about what we're doing to make a difference in the world. And if you want to give, you'll figure out how to give. You know what I'm saying, right? But that, so you, you can just sit back and relax. But I will tell you this if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you wanna be more than a follower, you actually want to be a disciple, you're gonna have to come to terms with this area of giving in your life. But I know this ahead of time because I've been doing this for 37 years. A lot of you are gonna walk out thinking, I just don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. Or I don't really believe that tithing is for today and I didn't bring my fog machine, but you're gonna try to fog it all up, you know. You're going to use that age-old argument, that was an Old Testament thing, that was under the law, that was the do's, the don'ts, the thou shalt, the thou shalt not's, but Jesus came and it's all about mercy and grace and forgiveness and all of those things, which it is, the new covenant is, but this is what's interesting. Study the Old Testament and study the New Testament. You know what you'll learn about Jesus? Jesus taught, took whatever was taught in the Old Testament and he upped the bar. That's why he would say things like, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, I say, don't even lust. Raise the bar. Raise the standard. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. I say, you can't even hate people. He raised the bar. You don't even want to know what Jesus would say about generous giving, right? I think he would really raise the bar. Or you know what? People will say, you know what? Um, I don't think the word tithe appears in in, in the New Testament. Well, guess what? The word actually appears eight times in the New Testament. And one of the verses is in red. That means Jesus said it. Let me show you. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth. Now, if you have a New American Standard, it says tithe. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, look what Jesus says. You should have practiced the latter. What? justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former, without neglecting your tithe. Jesus said that. Now, I just mentioned that the word tithe only appears eight times in the New Testament. Did you know that the word steal, like you steal something from someone, only appears 11 times in the New Testament? And three of those are gospel repeats. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're actually synoptic gospels, which means each one of the disciples are telling the same thing from a different perspective. They use it three times, so when you get right down to it, it really was only eight times. And so since it only appears eight times that you can't steal, you think it's okay to steal? Be careful when you use that kind of logic. People will come up to me and say, you know what, that's only only six times in the Bible. That's only said four times in the Bible. And I just smile. Because you know what? Do you know how many times the virgin birth of Jesus is mentioned in the Bible? Would we all agree that's a big deal, the virgin birth of Jesus? Twice. Once in the Old Testament. Once in the New Testament, since it's only mentioned twice, do we just ignore the virgin birth of Jesus? But see, we have to be careful about it. So I realize a lot of you are going to walk out saying, I just don't believe that that's true. So this is what I'm going to do over the next few minutes. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. And you're going to have to decide what you want to do with this stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to come to terms with this. And I think I'm part of the reason. I told Laura this week because I've gotten so many hostile emails during this message, which was series which I thought was so simple. But I've gotten so much hostility. You know what I told Laura? I said, you know what the problem is? We've raised a generation of Christians who think it's okay just to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, it's okay just to be saved, know you're going to go to heaven when you die, show up at church if you feel like it, serve if you feel like it, give if you feel like it, obey the Bible if you feel like it, And somehow you're going to experience the abundant life. That's not the way it works. Jesus said this, you want to be my disciple? You pick up your cross daily. There's some stuff you're going to have to die to in your life that you want to do and do life my way. And if I were to ask you how many of you want to experience that abundant life of joy and peace and all of those things, you'd raise your hand. But are you willing to pay the price? See, we just sang a song that says, wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, I'll follow you. Well, we'll see. Because for most of us, We're talking about the topic that prevents us from being actual disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus talked more about money than anything else, because he knew it would be the biggest hindrance to us actually experiencing the abundant life that he came to provide. So I just want to give you two joys, okay? Two joys of giving generously. They're both directly related to tithing, because you cannot give generously, as you're going to see, until you are at first tithing. And then God doesn't care how generously you give if you're not doing it joyfully. So let am going to show you how, how the two are connected to giving generously. Here's the first one. It's the joy of returning. There's a joy in giving back to God. Look what it says, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. We're like, well, Mike, we get that principle. He owns it all. But don't stop there. It is holy to the Lord. Well, that's a little different because, see, the word holy means set apart. So what he's saying is the tithe is set apart to God. So here's the thing. Even though God owns it all, we get that. And we get the fact that everything we have, we have because God gave it to us. He owns it all. This is what he says. Even though I own it all and I gave you what you have, I want you to take the first 10% of that and give it back to me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you keep the other 90%, which is also mine, and you go ahead and do with it whatever you want to do with it. Now, let me tell you something. I think that's a sweet deal. I mean, if we got up on Monday morning and turned on the Today Show and they said, Congress just passed a law, they're only keeping 10% of our money, we would think we won the lottery, right? Right. But that's what God is asking us. He's asking us to set aside 10% and return it to him. Now, if you're new to church, the word tithe means one-tenth. And it's interesting, you study the Bible long enough, you'll discover that the number 10 represents a test all the way through the Bible. In fact, I'll show you. Let me give you a test. Go back to the Exodus. How many plagues were there? How many times did God have to test Pharaoh before Pharaoh finally said, Moses, get those Hebrew people out of here. How many? 10. Not very good, but I I know you've seen the movie. So let's say it out loud together. Ready? Okay, you're going to see a trend here. How many commandments are there? Somebody say eight. Okay, 10. Okay. How many times did God test Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness? Good. I got a few people that believe. The rest of you can participate. Here we go. How many days was Daniel tested? All right. There's a trend here. How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many lepers were tested in Luke 17? How many days of testing are mentioned in the book of Revelation? How many disciples were there? No, 12. That was a test. But anyway. My point is, all the way through the Bible, the number 10 represents a test. So think about it this way. When it comes to the topic of tithing, God is just testing us. Every time we get paid, we take a test. Who are we going to thank? Who are we going to honor? And Here's what the Bible teaches. It teaches 90% with God's blessing will go further in our lives than 100% with our effort. That's the test. Do you trust God? Do you believe God enough to give 10% back to him? And just so you know, while we're on the topic, the tithe is always to be brought to the house of God. You don't really get to divide your tithe and say, I'm going to give some of it over here, and I'm going to give some of it over there. It's to be brought to the house of God. It goes back to the earliest days, Exodus 23, verse 19. Bring the best of the first fruits. There's your tithe of your soil, where? To the house of the Lord your God. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There, there, God says there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Notice, by the way, it says you bring it. It doesn't say you give it. In fact, When God talks about the tithe in the Bible, he never, ever, check me out on this, he never, ever uses the word give. He always uses the word bring. Do you know why? You can't give what doesn't belong to you. In fact, the Bible says there's only two things you can do with the tithe. You can bring it to God or you can steal it from God. Those are your only two options, and that's why it's not your option to give. I'm going to give 5% over here and 3% over here and 2% over here. It's not yours to give. You bring, you return the tithe. I remember when our boys were little and I was pastoring in California, we had a huge Christian school. And just like the school your kids go to, they're always selling stuff, you know, wrapping paper, candy bars, coupon books, you know. And I, being a pastor, I didn't want my kids to sell stuff because I thought people are gonna feel obligated to buy it because they're my kids. And so I just, we would just literally buy the junk, right? And just, and so one time it was candy bars, 50 candy bars a dollar piece. I bought $50, gave him a check for $50, wrote it out to the school and Laura put the candy bars in the freezer. And Laura and I went somewhere and the boys stayed home. We came home, they were sitting in the living room, counting the cash, counting the cash. I'm like, where'd you guys get that money? Hey. We sold those candy bars in the freezer. We got 25 bucks each. I said, you ain't got nothing. You're stealing from me. See, that's not your money to take, right? But that's what we do with the tithe sometimes. Now, let me show you an interesting passage in Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is, this, there's a principle here I want you to see, verse 22. God says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. And, and he's talking here about an annual or a yearly tithe. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So he says, eat a part of your tithe. I'm going to explain to it for a second. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name, his house, is so far away. For example, if you have 400 sheep and you got to tithe 40 sheep, or you got 300 bushels of grain and you got to tithe 30 grains and you just can't move carry it. Look what it says. Then exchange your tithe for silver. Take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. In other words, go to his house. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drinks. I had never seen that in the Bible to this week. That's bourbon and beer right there in the Bible. Other, by the way, let me just say that. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong to drink it says it's wrong to get drunk, very clear on that. And let me just say this, if you have a di- an addictive personality of any kind, you should never even open that door. Or if when you go out, you already plan to Uber home, you might have a problem. I'm just saying, you might have a problem. So be really, really careful with that. Then it goes on to say this, cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, are anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Now let me ask you a question. How in the world do you explain that? Sell your stuff, take the money, have a party. Well, first of all, uh, there's no way they could have blown a whole year's tithe on a party, unless maybe, you know, they're they're Kardashians or something, right? So they're still going to have the most of their proceeds to give back to the house of God. But what God is saying is this. I want you to enjoy the fact that I have blessed you And that you have enough to celebrate. But my point is simply this. The tithe was always meant to be a celebration of God's generosity to us. That's what it was for. And when God blesses us with an income, we return the tithe to him, not because we have to. We return the tithe to him because we are grateful for him giving us the ability, giving us the knowledge, the wisdom, giving us the strength and the talent to make that income. But you've got to understand, it was never intended to be a drudgery. It was always meant to be joyful. So you just have to understand, the tithe isn't yours to spend on a vacation, or a boat, or a golf cart, you know, or a vacation home, you're to bring it. You're to return it because I'm telling you, and anybody here that already does this, they will tell you that there is a joy that comes. We're returning the first ten percent to God instead of just spending it on yourself. So I'll just say this: if you believe in the mission, the vision of Hope Community Church. If you believe in the difference that we're making in the community and in our world. If your life has been impacted by this ministry, maybe you became a Christian here. Maybe you're growing here and being fed spiritually here. Maybe your kids and your high schoolers are being impacted by the ministry of Kid City and Student Ministries. Maybe your marriage was salvaged and put back together because of of things like re-engage. Or maybe as a church we paid for your marriage counseling. Let me just say, you should tithe here. And I'm just being practical. That's the only way we can do what we do. In fact, it's the only way that any church in the world can do what it does. And if you've gotten yourself in a mess financially and maybe you have too much debt, you've got to start somewhere. You should at least start with 3%. Come up with a goal to get to 10%. In fact, what you really should do is go online and check out our financial counseling that we offer here at Hope. We have classes. We have individual counselors that will sit down with you. They will help you get on a budget. We've had We've had people here at Hope literally pay off millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of debt that we've helped them do. So that they would no longer be a slave to the lender. That's what Proverbs says. But now their finances are freed up to be used the way God wants them to be used. But if you're, you're going to be grumpy about it, even if you could just write out a check for 10%, you still have some growing to do in this area. Like, I'm going to give it because, see, because God, that's what God said. You're missing the whole point. You give it out of gratitude. And if you want to experience the abundant life of being a disciple, I'm telling you, you've got to deal with this area of your life. And I know it's a tough one. And that's why Jesus talks so much about it. I know it's tough. But you've got to figure out how to get there. Now, here's the second joy. So there's the joy of returning. Then you get to the joy of giving. You return the tithe. But when you give, it's actually over and above your tithe. And when you move into that rarefied air, you are beginning to give generously. Now, this is what's interesting. This isn't new. When Jesus was on this earth, if you went to the synagogue, there were several receptacles in the atrium where you gave. Everybody would put their tithe in one. And then if you wanted to go to help orphans in Jerusalem, you would put your tithe in another one. And if you wanted to get to the widows, you put your tithe in this one. And if you wanted to help buy a camel because you got to get all the kids to summer camp on a camel, you would put it in the camel fund, right? But you were giving over and above your tithe. Now, I want to show you a couple of verses that a lot of us know if you've been around church for a while. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all of this or all things through him who gives me strength. And then you drop down to verse 19 of Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. But I'm going to be honest with you, most Christians misquote that verse. We'll say things like, my God will supply all my needs or our God will supply all of our needs. That's not what this verse says. Understand, this is Paul talking to a church in Philippi, and this is what he says to these Christians in Philippi. He says, my God will supply all of your needs. So it is a spiritual leader, Paul, speaking specifically to a church. And he uses this word and in verse 19, and my God. You know what that's saying? It's saying because you've done something, because you've done this, he's referring back to something, God will supply all all of your needs. But if you're gonna understand these two verses, you have to know what comes between verse 13 and verse 19. But before I show you what comes between those verses, if you go back to Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul is taking his missionary journeys and he gets what is referred to as the Macedonian call. In other words, God speaks to him and says, I want you to go to Macedonia, which was a, not, a, a, a providence in Northern Greece. I want you to go to this area, think of it a state, I want you to go to this area of Macedonia because the people need assistance. And the very first city that Paul went to when he went to Macedonia, that province, was the city of Philippi. Now look what he says, because he's now writing this letter to them that has ended up in our Bible as the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 verse 14, Paul writes this to them. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, in other words, they were brand new Christians. Paul says, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, and that was actually the second city that Paul went to in Macedonia, you sent me aid more than once, literally the Greek word is Twice. When I was in need. So they sent two offerings to him. Not that I desire your gifts. It's not about me getting the gift. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. In other words, I want you guys to experience the joy of what you've done. He says, I've received full payment. I have made more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus, he was the one who took the money, the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So Paul, he writes this letter and he says to the Christians at at Philippi, because you're a group of Christians, because you're a church that gives above and beyond, God's going to supply all of your needs. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't claim that promise as a Christian if you're not giving above and beyond. You got to understand Paul is specifically speaking to these Christians because they gave generously. And then there's one more passage I want you to see when it comes to the attitude of giving generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. In other words, that's above the tithe, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because you feel guilty. God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know what the Greek word is for cheerful? Hilaras. Guess what English word we get from it? God loves a hilarious giver. When's the last time God told you to give something and you thought it was hilarious? You know, a few years ago when we were building the Apex building, we got, Laura and I, we just thought, man, well, let's do something different. Cause we, we want, you know, we're gonna give our regular giving to Hope Community Church, but then we want, we were being challenged to give above to help build the Apex building. And you know what? Then we have charities just like you do. And other, we have missionaries that we support above that. And there's just all kinds of things that go on. So Laura, being the spiritual one, she says, let's not even pick a number. You pray for a week, I'll pray for a week, and in a week we'll come back together, and we'll see what the number is. So we prayed for a week, and then we got back together. And we both, God had given us the exact dollar amount, both of us. The scary thing is, it was 33% of our yearly salary. And we're like, oh, and we laughed. Like, God, you have got to be kidding. And we did it for two years. And we loved it. Do you know why? Because when God convinces you to do it, not the pastor, and you do it, you get to sit back and watch God take care of it. I, went, I got invited to speak at a church. I don't do it very often. I spoke at a church. They gave me a check for $10,000. I'm like, I wouldn't give $10 and go across the street to hear me speak, right? They gave me a church for $10,000. The accountants will tell you, I came to the accountant office, I signed the back of it, I gave it to them, I said, hey, apply that toward our giving. And we were so excited because we just got to watch God supply what he had called us to do. And that happened time and time again over those two years. And I'm telling you, in the very same way, when you give obediently, As God moves and wants you to, he's gonna take you to a whole new level of joy. Now, why is this so important? It's important because we can only do the things we do at Hope when people give above and beyond their tithe. For example, we didn't budget for Project Classroom, you know, but thousands and thousands of pounds have come in and and over $33,000 was given to help us with gift cards to give teachers so that they wouldn't have to dig into their own pocket and supply their classroom this year. We can only do that because people give above and beyond. A few years ago, when we drilled the wells in the Central African Republic, the poorest country on the planet, annual household income of $240, figure that one out. And we found out the best thing, the number one thing we could do to change their quality of life was fresh drinking water. And we put a church in every one of those villages. It's amazing how people gave above hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars so that we could do that. When we were dealing with the orphan crisis in Uganda and working with Watoto Church, we could only do, again, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what we did because people listened to God and they gave above and beyond. The only reason we have a campus in Haiti just making an impact on that is because people gave above and beyond. By the way, that campus in Haiti, you know what the average household income is in Haiti? 1300 bucks. Do you know what our campus, our campus just raised in one year for their building, above their giving. Are you ready for this? this? is. These are our brothers and sisters in Haiti, $900,000 above their regular giving to build a building. See, there are people there who, who get this, who are giving generously. But we can only do those things When there's generous giving that takes place above our tithing to God. See, when you tithe the hope, when you give the 10%, it just really goes to maintain and sustain the budget that you approve. I mean, it's the salaries, it's the buildings, it's the programs, it's the ministries. Yes, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars that goes back into our community. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that we budget to go around the world. But when we want to do things above that, see, that's when you have to give the extra. But I want to make this very, very clear. Okay, listen to me. I'm not trying to get your money. That has nothing to do with this message. You know what? My income and lifestyle isn't connected to how much you give. In fact, I should just tell you this so you know. Every staff at Hope Community Church is based on a database, I think, 3,200 churches across America. And each job has a percentile of what it should be paid. If you're not very good, you're going to get paid down here. If you get a good review, you'll get paid higher up and we base all of our salaries on all of our staff. We're not just pulling random numbers out of the air, and you get annually reviewed, and that determines what percentile you make. I'm actually on a five-year contract, and unlike NFL players, I'm going to honor it. I don't try to renegotiate it. So if you guys went home and gave a billion dollars, it's not going to change my life one iota. I think it'd be great for you, but here's the thing. I'm just trying to encourage you I'm trying to pastor you to a new level of joy now here's the good news after your tithing and after you're giving generously as God moves and lays it on your heart and you're doing it joyfully honestly I don't think God cares what you do with the rest of it I don't think he cares how big your house is I don't think he cares where you go on vacation Heck, for all I care, you know, God probably doesn't care if you go and buy one of those $183,000 Audi. That's what that car cost. we drove in the video. I asked my friend who runs that place, I said, you ever sold one of these things? He said, I think we've sold four over the last two years. Right. You can go buy one of those $183,000 cars and you can have a clear conscience. I hope you'll let me drive it every once in a while. But anyway, you, you, could, you could have a clear conscience. Now, I know there's a mentality that says that would just be wrong. You could do more. Couldn't you do more? It's not about doing more. I'm going to be honest with you. We're Americans. We could all do more. Do you realize if we have a household income of $47,000, congratulations, you're on the top 1% of the richest people on the planet. $47,000. Let's be honest. We could all do more. That's not the question. We ought to leave everybody alone. God gives to those as he sees fit, and he's not really into wealth redistribution. I'll just tell you that right now. He gives us, he sees fit. Once God gives it to us, once we're doing what we're called to do, the question isn't could I do more? The question is am I doing what God asked me to do? Am I tithing? And then as he speaks to me about going above and beyond, am I obedient? See, there were some heavy hitters in the Bible. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. David and Solomon were really rich. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. That's why he had a tomb to give Jesus. He was a rich man. So having nice stuff, that's not the issue. Unless you're stealing from God to have it. That's a problem for a disciple. That means that you're actually living above what you can actually afford. And you're doing it on God's money. So you have to ask yourself, because this is really what it comes down to. It's not a money issue. It says, Is God really preeminent in my life? Now, that's not original with me. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. For where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this really isn't a money issue at all. It's a heart issue. I mean, how else can you explain being able to give generously and giving it with a joyful heart? How will she explain that? I mean, I love what Paul said about the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They're like, I'm all in. Money, that's secondary, right? You show me a person who's given himself or herself first and fully to God, I will show you a person that practice, gen- practices generous giving. You give yourself first fully to God. I don't care what your financial situation And it's amazing what God's gonna do in your life. And this isn't the prosperity gospel. I hate that stuff. This isn't about getting a new car or a new house or getting to go on your dream vacation, although God may do that for you. And if he does, good for you. This really is about, do I trust God with the financial area of my life? Jesus said it best in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do that first. And then all these things. What things? Well, Jesus knew the culture we live in. Jesus knew we had to have insurance. Jesus knew that we had to send our kids off to college. Jesus knew that we had to pay a mortgage or a rent. Jesus knew that we were going to live in those days. Jesus knew that we had to set, a, uh, set aside and plan for retirement. He knew all those things. He just says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. That's Jesus' way of saying, Put me first, be my disciple. I got your back. I got your back. Disciples believe that. And they don't just believe it. They don't just sing about it. They actually live that way. And I want you to be a disciple. I'm glad you're saved. And I'm glad you're going to heaven. But I want you to experience the life that God designed for you to experience now. And Jesus died so you could experience. And I know that's what you want too. So you figure it out, but I need you to get there. I want you to get there because I want to see the joy. Father, thank you. Thank you that you you don't ask us to do anything that you don't do. You say, I'll just give you my most priceless possession. I'll set the pace. And Father, those of us here in leadership at hope, we don't ask our people to do anything that we're not doing and living out. And it's not about getting more money. That'd be great. Man, there's all kinds of needs around the world that we could be involved in. It's really about becoming disciples, not just followers, not just I got my fire insurance and I'm taken care of. It's about living the life and experiencing the life now that Jesus died to make a reality. That's when you're living the dream. Help us to get there in every area of our life. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus